Praise the Lord. It's uh, good to be in the house of God, amongst the people of God, and worshipping God. And uh, I've enjoyed the worship this morning, and uh, it's always a joy to rejoice in the presence of God. And so, um, before I do start, it is Mother's Day, and no, I don't have a Mother's Day message. So just as well, Ella, you saved me. Um, uh, God bless you, mothers. Well, I mean, what could we do without them? I mean, uh, so you learn to appreciate just uh, uh, how wonderful they are and how God has uniquely made them. And so uh, we do love you dearly, and the Lord bless you. And, uh, but we're going to get into the Word of God, and uh, we're going to examine the Scriptures this morning. Now, I want to start by kind of laying a little bit of a foundation because what I'm going to share this morning is kind of a prelude to, um, I mean, after this week, actually, I won't, we've got a few guest speakers over the next month, and so I won't get back until about a month's time, actually, and so, um, but in light of that, um, I then will have the opportunity to consecutively speak over the course of that month, and I want to do a series that the Lord has put upon my heart. And um, something that's been stirred uh, deeply within my own spirit, but I want to touch on this morning, and uh, we want to examine further then, in a con- in a, and it will be in a different context. But it is the theme uh, of revival. The theme of, or term as we know, is revival. And so, throughout the scripture, this word is clearly identified, it is spoken often and it doesn't just have its context into what we know today in the church of Jesus Christ or clearly we know that it does have a valid uh, present application but also we see it in the scriptures it has an application to the nation of Israel in the Old Testament and if you uh, to use the term appropriately and correctly revival and uh, also we understand um, uh, in the early church where God was uh, uh, at work and throughout church history in times of spiritual uh, decline and even death that has uh, come about in the church, or not when I say in the church, in the world and the church is not functioning in the life of Christ as it should be, we've seen God move in supernatural ways over the course of church history that if you've taken time to read or study some of these things you begin to realize just how glorious and wonderful it is when God visits his people when God comes down amongst us and really does a work and refreshes and revives the people of God and so it kind of brings us to the question well then what is revival How do we understand revival? Because I know that over the years as a Christian, especially in my formative years, the word got bantered around that much that we got so familiar with it that we forgot really what in essence revival is. You know, we're having uh, this week revival meetings. And so, you know, we've got a a revival on. Coming to church, we have revival and so, you know, and so um, some of those meetings, there was no revival, to be honest. Uh, but, um, but, you know, there is that aspect of it. 
And one of the errors that I think uh, some Christians, if not many Christians, can make is that they confuse revival with the work of evangelism. And so, you know, revival is, is, means that God moves and there's just literally uh, many that are swept into the kingdom of God. And that is no doubt a byproduct of revival. Uh, there's no question about that. But it's not fundamentally and primarily revival as we understand it scripturally. And so the word revive in scripture and as we understand it, if you understand the term itself, it literally means to bring back to life, to, to live again, in the sense that as it has its application to the people of God. And so because the truth of the matter is, is that at various times in church history, the church needed to be revived. Because it was in a state of spiritual death and declension and, uh, and de de depravity for whatever the case may be. And the people would cry out to God and in the midst uh, there, there are instances where God came and he revived his work. He revived his people. And so this is the essence of the term revival. And there are many biblical um, scriptures that we're going to see and examine and that will teach us about this as we go forward. And especially uh, a story um, that we're going to look at in the future regarding the nation of Israel. But you see, the truth of the matter is, is that as the people of God, there are instances and times where we need to be revived. Can you say Amen. Okay, we're on the same page then. <laughs> and so, as I did say, the nation of Israel sets a wonderful example for us uh, about the nature of revival. And so, remembering in 1 Corinthians 10, when it refers to Israel, it says these things happened to them so that they would uh, serve as, as an example for us. And so when we look at the nation itself, we see so much and we learn so much about the church and about ourselves individually, and we can draw many truths from this. And so this is what we're going to do this morning as we consider uh, uh, the text and make an application of it to the church and make an application to, it of, to ourselves individually, and it has to do with the prophet Habakkuk. So if you could turn to Habakkuk. Chapter 3. And so this is, a, this is a, well, if you want to use the term, a minor prophet or just a small portion of text in the Old Testament making up three chapters. But it's quite profound and it's very unique. Unique in the context of which we find Habakkuk and how it relates to him personally and how it relates to the nation of Israel and ultimately to us. But let's read our text and then we'll proceed in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet on Shingonmoth. Yeah, well, something like that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you can see my Hebrew's not polished this morning. Verse 2. O oh Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. 
O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Let's pray. Father, I pray. God, quicken your word to us this morning. God, that the life of your word, Lord, your word is life. Lord, that it be received, Lord, and bring life, God, to us as we sit here this morning. God, even bring revival, Lord, to our hearts. Lord, a measure of revival, God, refresh us. Times of refreshing, Lord, that would come from the presence of the Lord and let the word of God be so quickened. In Jesus' name, I pray. Now, as I was studying this and just considering the whole context of the book of Habakkuk and the prophet himself, it is unique, as I have mentioned, because <coughs> there are certain aspects or the nature of the, of the book itself is unique as compared to the other prophets. Because what makes it unique is that Habakkuk is having a direct discourse or he's speaking directly to God. And as a prophet, he's not speaking to his countrymen as the other, you'll find in the other prophets. He's not speaking to the nations as such directly um, in terms of bringing a word to them, but through that there is an aspect to that. But what we have is him in dialogue or in conversation and him speaking to God alone. And it's out of this that we draw various truths and realities and so as we identify with this particular conversation. And what we find is the prophet himself is deeply, deeply burdened. The prophet is deeply weighed down with the spiritual condition of his countrymen, the, the children of Israel, the nation of itself which has gone into apostasy. It has disobeyed God and it is a time in Israel's history just prior to them being sent forth to Babylon in captivity as a result of God's judgment and discipline and chastisement on the people and nation itself because they have been so stiff-necked and hard-hearted and therefore God is now sending them off and bringing severe, severe calamities upon the nation itself. And Habakkuk is aware of this. And he is in the end stages of uh, the nation before it proceeds into this, this captivity. And he is mindful of the purpose and plan of God and what God is about to do to the nation. And this is troubling him deeply. He is consumed in his heart. And uh, to such that he, it, it forces him to ask various questions of God. And so the book itself is, uh, is, uh, is uh, broken up just into three chapters. And in those three chapters that uh, we find, and we can set up, there are three particular themes. And in the first chapter, you'll find that it refers to the burden. The burden of the prophet, the burden of Habakkuk, and that which is expressed in the particular chapter. And in the second chapter, you'll find it relates to the vision. In terms of the response of God and the vision that God gives him. And then in the third chapter, there is an emphasis now and focus on the prayer of Habakkuk. And he offers up a prayer to God that we're going to uh, consider and we're going to observe and identify in the scriptures. Now we also should know, if you understand the book of Habakkuk, we find one of the most famous scriptures of the New Testament and which is foundational to our Christian life and it is these words in Habakkuk 2 verse 4, I think it is, the just 
shall live by his faith. And that lays the foundation of our justification and of our sanctification in the Christian life that we find in Romans, where it's mentioned in Galatians and also in Hebrews. And so, but, now, but in saying that, I say that to only highlight that so that you can um, just take a note of it, but I don't want to make that our focus. But as you look at this particular book and read it and ponder it, you'll find that in the initial stages, uh, uh, the burden that um, uh, Habakkuk uh, is expressing to God, he's, uh, he is distressed. He's overwhelmed. And it's kind of a sob, so to speak. Why, O oh Lord? In those first few verses. And then you will find at the end, uh, after he brings it, uh, after he goes through this process and, and God responds to him and he prays unto the Lord, at the end of chapter 3, you find what we know as the hymn of faith. And those, in, the, in verse 19 in chapter 3, you'll find some of the most victorious uh, 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 words of faith in the Bible itself uh, um, that, that you can ponder and meditate upon. But, um, but the issue is is Habakkuk himself has been revived by the Spirit of God. And despite the circumstances, he is in a position of strength and faith and hope in God despite the outward circumstances as they relate to the nation. So <clears throat> we have the burden. Then we have the vision that God gives. And that vision in actually in chapter 2 begins to, if you look at verse 14, which is still yet to be fulfilled, where it says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Oh, there is a time coming, amen, when the glory of God and Christ will return to rule and reign from the throne of David. And amen, he will be glorified in the earth. And God, Christ we know, shall reign and, uh, and for that millennium, for that 1,000 years. Uh, and the glory of God and the knowledge of God will flood the earth. Praise the Lord. But you see, as much as we understand what's ahead, as much as we understand the blessed hope, uh, it's in the midst of the years, in the journey of this Christian life, that we walk this path that we need God time and time again to bring revival and God to revive your work, God to refresh our hearts, to revive me because I know on my journey in my Christian life, uh, I remember being in prayer and kind of complaining, I guess, to God and you know what the Lord said to me? He said, Gary, you're dead. And it just shook me. I was like, well, where did that come from? And, I, and, and so I, I knew and I sensed the need for the Spirit of God to be ref, uh, come in a time of refreshing to revive me. And I tell you, at various stages of my Christian walk, it has been so. And I, no doubt I think we all can relate to it in, in this one form or another. But this is the nature of how it works. So I want to... Examine with you the prayer that Habakkuk prays because it has its relevance to the modern church. It has its relevance to you and to me. And like I said to you, we're dealing with a time in history where Israel had impending judgment from God. 
And when you look at the condition of Israel in those days, and you look at the state of the modern church today, you can draw many, many parallels. You see, we're living in a time in the church age where we are seeing an apostasy, we're seeing a turning away, we're seeing the amount of error that has, uh, and corruption of the gospel that has come into the church, I can't begin to tell you and to express the burden that now this has put upon me as I see these things and the vexation at times that I feel as I witness these things. I mean, just the other, day, uh, the other week, uh, there's a church that opened up in my, my local area and I read the, the advertisement and I showed uh, Jim the other day at the Bible study. And I tell you, I read it and it vexed me. And it said, uh, you know, it's got the question, what on earth are we here for? Well, you were made for a purpose. You were made on purpose for a purpose. We believe that you are far too valuable to just survive this life. We believe that you were created to thrive in it. Hmm. And then it invites you to come to church. I don't know what gospel that is, but that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were not created to thrive in this world. We were created to thrive in Christ. This world can become death to us. We can be martyred as witnesses for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we will always triumph and thrive in Christ, not in this world. This, this is not the gospel, but you see, this is some of the nonsense that we see around us that's infiltrating the Western world and, uh, and by extension, uh, you know, I've been recently to the Philippines and I've been to Fiji and so in some ways you'll be able to understand and relate to what I'm saying, but I must say, in my zeal for the Lord, I see these things and having come to an understanding of the truth of God's word, uh, I, 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 I get burdened. And so, because uh, we can have all, all the crowds uh, and we can have all the lights and we can have all the darkness and we can have all uh, the smoke screens and we can have the dancing and all that goes on in the modern church in this generation. But I tell you, church, uh, all we have done, and as I have declared and as I understand it, we have built groves around the altar of God. And we are dealing with a time in which the gospel's been corrupted. People are peddling the word of God for their profit and for their gain. And what we need, even as the people of God, we need a visitation from God. We need the people of God to be revived, amen, not to be made happy with all the superficial and the fake, but we need a, the power of God to come down. We need the, God to rend the heavens, and we need, as one man said, revival is a people that is saturated with God. And so we see the modern church and I think of Habakkuk and I think of Israel and I think of Habakkuk's prayer and how it finds its relevance to the church and the day in which we live. If you go, just turn the pages and go to Zephaniah chapter 3. Some of you would have heard many, many years ago that wonderful sermon by David Wilkerson called The Reproach of the Solemn Assembly. Is anyone aware of that? Okay. The Reproach of the Solemn Assembly. But it was based on verse 17 of chapter 3 in Zephaniah. It says, The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. 
he will rejoice over you with gladness did I or where is no no just oh here we go sorry verse 18 excuse me verse 18 I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden and the reproach of the solemn assembly dealt with the, 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 uh, the, the corruption and uh, of the word of God and what people were doing in the, in the presence of God, in the house of God. And uh, God, and again, uh, Wilkerson was drawing upon this particular scripture to talk about how God would acknowledge those to whom the reproach of the house of God was a burden when they saw what was going on in Israel, when they saw the corruption and idolatry of the people of God, so too in the modern church age, where we see some of the things that are going on in the name of Christ and the name of Christianity, but yet uh, it is a reproach to God. You see, the Bible tells us again in First Peter, I think it is, 4 verse 17, that judgment begins in the house of God. And so, and so it's true. We see this here in the nation of Israel. They are the people of God, the chosen people of God, and as a, in a state of disobedience, judgment will begin with them. And this is the atmosphere in which the prophet speaks. And it's interesting because he asks of God very legitimate questions. In chapter 1 and Specifically, in which he poses two questions. Again, I'm not going to look at that, but God gives him legitimate added answers. But it's his prayer that we want to consider. And it's a legitimate appeal to God for revival. And so we want to consider it as it is expressed here because he, he, it is a humble prayer. It is a man who's been humbled. See, in the context of him complaining to God and asking God why, and God responds to him, and then he has the vision, and then his heart is, is uh, humbled before the Lord. And then he expresses these words, and we find it two times in verse 2, where he says, O oh Lord, O oh Lord. And you get a sense of uh, the, 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 the deep desire, the deep humility that is, uh, that is captured in the heart of the prophet. And he says in verse 2, he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. I have heard your speech and I was afraid. Or in other words, in, a, in, in the Jewish Bible, it actually says these words. It says, I have heard the reports about you and I am awed by your deeds. So in other words, Habakkuk is reflecting upon the, the, the awesome uh, and the majesty of God and he's considering the works of the Lord through the course of the history of the children of Israel and he is in awe and uh, he is a, the Bible here says, I heard your speech, I've heard of the report of all that you've done and I am afraid, I am in absolute awe of who you are and what you have done and what you will do. And so really I think about this and I, my mind is drawn to the fact that, 
that it is imperative if our hearts are going to be revived by the Spirit of God, that it is imperative that the fear of the Lord is in our hearts. And we can see this uh, um, uh, expressed, uh, isn't it interesting? If you read the book of Acts, you'll see how, how there's a, a, an emphasis by the Spirit of God to make the point that how the fear of God was preeminent. They were in awe of God and they feared the apostles even that they did not even dare to, to, uh, to uh, speak with him. And uh, you have the instance where Ananias and Sapphira, they had lied to the Holy Spirit uh, and you know the story and God judged them right there and then and they, they died uh, right there in that moment uh, and the Bible says great fear came upon the people. And then great signs and wonders were done by the hands of the apostles. You see, because when there is an atmosphere where the people of God are in awe of God, when the people of God are gripped with a godly fear, it sets the tone or the atmosphere, if you want to call it, where God, amen, has the platform and God can move. And so the fear of God is very, very critical and important to the, to the people of God and to us individually. The Bible says in... Um, uh, I think it's in um, Acts chapter 9, verse 31. It says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. You see, the fear of God is important. Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1, says, Heaven is my throne. And the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. This is the one that will get my attention. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit who trembles at my word. Trembles at my word. You see... It is an old adage and it has relevance, not that it should, but it does because of human nature. And that is familiarity can breed contempt. And, and if, we're not, if we don't guard our hearts, if we don't continue to understand this, this is the word of God. And God himself, uh, amen. And as the scripture says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so there's something about being in God that we must reverence Him. We must be in awe of Him. We must be in fear of Him. And thank God when that disposition is prevalent, then that's where the comfort of the Holy Spirit will always go hand in hand. Because it's not a fear in which we are scared of Him in that sense. But it's a fear where we understand He's a mighty, awesome God. And so Habakkuk is exactly in this place. He says, Lord, I have heard your speech and I was afraid. I mean, he's just talking, spoken with God. And this is his disposition. Remember John, the John the Apostle, he was the one that was uh, 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 laying in the breast of Jesus at the Lord's Supper. Such an intimacy of relationship. But when he saw him in his glory in the book of Revelation 1, the Bible says he fell down flat on his face. 
Because uh, there's something about seeing the awesome and majesty of God. And I tell you now, in the modern church, if God did show up, they would all fall flat on their faces. They wouldn't be jumping around, carrying on and singing and dancing in the manner that they do. I'm not saying that you can't sing and dance and rejoice in the presence of God. But there is a carnality that is associated with this stuff that is from the pit of hell. It is not born of God. It is not of the Spirit, as it is so many times claimed. It is of the flesh, and if you observe it, you will understand exactly why it is carnal. That's why they, they, they will dress in flimsy clothes. That's why they'll dance in provocative ways. It's why they will do what they do and, and carry on the way that they do. And then they say, oh, how wonderful is the presence of God. If presence of God was to come, they would fall flat on their face. So the fear of God and Israel had lost that fear. And isn't it interesting, if you go back to Exodus chapter 20, when they received the Ten Commandments, God was, pre, uh, was adamant uh, and very purposeful. If you, um, let me find the exact scripture, it's Exodus chapter 20, verse 18. It says, now, all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, and when the people saw it, what did they do? Did they start jumping around and dancing? They trembled and stood afar off. They were too scared to even go near. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. Now listen to this, it almost sounds contradictory. Do not fear. For God has come to test you that, you, that his fear may be before you and that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off and Moses drew near. But you see, God, Moses says, don't fear in, in, in the un, uh, unhealthy manner. But he says, God's done this because he wants to put his fear in you. And so, and yet now we find in the, in, as they've progressed the, uh, years down the road that the fear of God is not in them, but it is in Habakkuk. And so let it be in you and I this morning. You see, we have to understand the nature of Habakkuk's request and it is deeply rooted in the fear of God. And it's out of this that he says again in verse 2, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Make what known? Make, glorify your name. Manifest your power. Make your name and your testimony great amongst the nation and amongst the nations. But above all, Lord, revive your work because you need to be glorified in your people as Christ will ultimately be glorified in his people and we will be glorified in him. 
but make your, in the midst of the years, and see, this is the, the, the point that I want to bring to our attention. Revive your work in the midst of the years. Now, he's talking about this word again, revive, or in other words, bring back to life that which has died. Bring it back to life. Make it alive again, Lord. And in doing so, he says, revive your work in the midst of the years. See, the midst of the years for Israel was a time of disobedience and it was a time of a departure from God. And, pray, and as Habakkuk is praying for Israel in the midst of the, of the years, in the midst of judgment, and he's praying, God, make your power known again. Visit us, Lord. And so we must understand that the Christian can come into such a place. The church can come into such a place. Can we not move into a state of constant disobedience to God? Can't we not uh, depart from God and drift away from Him? Uh, can't we not be indifferent to, to the Word of God in, in obedience? Or, or can't we just even just neglect and, and live a life of prayerlessness and neglect of God's Word? And I tell you, when we go down that path, we become dry. We become spiritually um, um, uh, oppressed. We feel a, uh, uh, the, the effects of that deep in our own hearts because we know that we're not seeking God as we ought. We know that we're not walking worthy before Him. We know that we're not pleasing Him as we ought to. And when grieving the Holy Spirit of God, amen, there is a distance that we feel. And, we, and it's in this place that we need to be revived. God, bring a revival. In the midst of the years. You see, the Christian life's a long journey. Can you say amen? It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And, you can, and I can tell you times when I'm telling you, I'm on the mountaintop and it's awesome. But there have been times where I've been in the valley and, uh, and times where I've really had to, I've struggled and I've had to press in, in my relationship with God. And my prayer in the midst of the years, it's where we go through various trials. It's where we go through various temptations and where we can drift away or even just, you know, neglect the most important things. And that is our relationship with God. We don't maintain it. We don't give effort to it. We don't draw near to God as we ought to. And there's always consequence to that. You can't escape the, the realities of these things. And then over the, the course of time, we wake up to ourselves and we say, oh God, forgive me. Lord, I've, I've drifted. Lord, I've done this or that. And, but we pray, God, refresh us. God, revive us. And how many times has God done so? Hallelujah. But this is the nature of how it works. You know, I think of a marriage. You know, you get married and he's like, oh, this is all so wonderful. <laughs> but you know, over the journey, there's uh, testings and there's trials. And, uh, and so, you know, as I was listening to a song this morning in the car, as we were driving, and uh, me and my wife were looking at each other as we sing it. Love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. You learn that very quickly, don't you? <laughs> but you see... But it, unfortunately, in the world, we see so many marriages fail, and even amongst the people of God, uh, sadly. 
in which uh, for various reasons uh, uh, this, these things occur. And what we find is in the midst of the years, uh, th- these struggles come and rather than revive, we die. And it ought not to be that way. You know, they have the, the, the men, they use that, uh, I heard it just recently, men in their, well, they've got the midlife crisis in the midst of the years. You know, all of a sudden they've been, uh, they hit their 40, I'm in that time, but I'm not going through a midlife crisis, am I, Barbara? Some have suggested I need to cover up these greys, but I'm not interested. Just for men is not for me. <laughs> But you see, it's in these times that men just go through these, uh, these stages. And I think it is a true reality and it's symbolic of many things. But the, the, uh, and it's sad but what it reveals. But it does show that something's not right. And so, and, and so, but God allows us to go through trials in life to bring things to the surface, to test our hearts so that, amen, we can be revived, so that we can be conformed, so we can be refreshed in repentance and drawing near to God. He'll draw near to us if we humble ourselves. And so, Lord, revive your work. In the midst of the years. You know, in other words, when it says the midst of the years, the prophet's saying now, as it relates to the circumstances now as they are. Or as they relate to the circumstances that you and I are in now. Or as it relates to the the church of Christ as it is now universally or here in this nation in Australia. But in the midst of the years, now Lord, in the middle of what's going on around us, Lord, revive your work. And that is my prayer. I want to see a genuine Holy Ghost revival. I don't want to see the manufactured stuff that we have today uh, that comes under the name of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ that is anything but. I still remember the Chinese uh, uh, brother that uh, went through all the persecution in the underground church in China and he got out and, he, um, and people read his books because it's miraculous and you see how God, what this man suffered for the cause of Christ. And so he was freed by miraculously by God and, uh, and then uh, came out and escaped the country and then uh, through various means he went to America to, to preach and he, they said to him, what is it that stands out to you most about the church in America? He says, how much they've accomplished without the Holy Spirit. God, revive your work. We need a Holy Ghost revival. We need a genuine visitation from heaven. And we need it personally, amen? Let it begin in me because I need it. Lord, revive me. Lord, revive this assembly. Lord, revive your people, your work. In the midst of the years, Lord, come. Because without a visitation of God, we will just uh, die in the wilderness. Amen. So Habakkuk is praying and he's asking of God to move mightily. Lord, revive your work now. We're so desperate. The need is now. You know, remember the story of Gideon and again we know the history of Israel after the, during the time of the judges the Bible says this is now the, genera- the, the, the 
amongst the first generations of those, third generation especially, but maybe on that, that had come out of Egypt and now they had forgotten everything that God did, his works, and the fear of the Lord was not there. And so they drifted off into idolatry and, and then uh, they would, God would raise up a deliverer and Gideon was one of them. And Gideon, well, he wanted to see a, a revival. And he says, Lord, where are all the miracles that our fathers saw? Lord, we wait, as our brother uh, um, Morris Nicholson so aptly put it recently, you look at the book of Acts and you look at the modern church in its variations and you say, Lord, you haven't changed. And, and it's interesting to note that he says that, that he, you see that supernatural dimension manifested in, in places of opposition and persecution and how true it is. And even those accounts that are modern that I've read, they have been the exact circumstances, but in uh, Western, na Western nations, uh, we're too apathetic. We're, we're, we, we, prosperity is a danger to all of us. Can you say amen? Where are all the miracles that our fathers saw? You see, we can't uh, uh, just settle for the status quo as we observe what goes around us, as we observe what goes on, observe what goes on in us. I'm not here just to point a finger that of everything that's outside of us. I, in saying what I say this morning, the burden is for myself, the burden is for us. Uh, we must examine ourselves uh, before the Lord. But you see, Habakkuk's final words in his, this prayer is that in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. And Habakkuk is very acutely aware of where his hope lies. And it is in the mercy of God. If it were not for the mercy of God, church, where would we all be today? God is merciful. Thank God he is merciful. Because it's his mercy that we uh, uh, abide in. It's his mercy that we are cons consistently recipients of. And it was, uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 1 as he, again, during a period of after the Babylonian captivity and coming back now at the end of that period, and Nehemiah prays and he says in chapter 1 verse 4, he says, so it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. He's mourning over the, the reproach of the, modern, of, the, of the solemn assembly, the house of God, the temple. And he sat down and he wept and he mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, O Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments. Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now, day and night for the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of the children of Israel which they have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. But you see in, in his humility, in his brokenness before God, he's making confession of his, his sin and the sins of his people and he's saying, God, you're a God of covenant and mercy. And this is my hope, this is our confidence that you are in wrath, remember mercy. And we can call upon a merciful God because he's a God of mercy, amen, and he's a God of covenant. 
is, as it says here in, uh, in, in um, Nehemiah. And so the, the mercy of God is our hope this morning. If by the if you know again lamentations uh, uh, talks about the Lord's through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed. David understood the mercy of God. In Psalm twenty-five, verse seven, he says, "Do not remember the sins of my youth nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord." Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he teaches sinners in the way. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Even in David's sin, he understood the mercy of God. And he said in Psalm 51, as he opens his mouth in his contriteness and his brokenness and having been humbled now before the Lord, he says, Lord, have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. The mercies of God. You see, God knows what we're like. We're but dust. And I, there's a couple of scriptures that I want to read to you that just reveal this and gives us an insight. Because when, when, we, when, when Habakkuk says in wrath, remember mercy, he's saying, God, you know how desperately we need it. And we do. In Psalm 103, verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame and remembers that we are but dust. One last scripture I want to read to you. It's found in Isaiah 57, verse 15. Listen to these words. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit. There it is again, this issue of humility. To revive, to revive, to bring back to life the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. That's why the Lord will never reject a broken and a contrite spirit. That's when we know, that's when we feel that we need rejection. And that's exactly where God says, I'm going to give you mercy. Now listen to these words in verse 16. Because they are profound. It says, for I will not contend forever. Or in other words, I will not fight with my people forever. Nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would fail before me. Or in other words, God is saying their spirits would be faint before me if I continually contended with them. And he says, of the souls which I have made, or the creatures I myself have created, God is saying it is incumbent upon me to be merciful. But he's a merciful God. And, when, and he, he will revive 
In wrath, Habakkuk says, remember mercy. God, we look to the mercy of God. We need God's mercy. And we don't deserve God's mercy. But we can have confidence. We can come to the throne of grace with boldness to find a mercy in our need. And so we can call upon God in our contrition and in our brokenness, in our repentance, in our sinfulness, in whatever the case may be, and say, God, be merciful, and God will be merciful. Hallelujah. Our hope is in the mercy of God. Revive your work. Revive me, Lord. Have mercy on us, O God. And so revival begins in us. Revival is, Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. And this is a thought and this is a theme that I want to examine with you more deeply. But in another portion of the Bible, in, and when we, when we next meet, and over a course of a, maybe four to eight weeks, whatever the case will be. But I want to have God bring a measure of revival to us this morning. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your great grace. Can I ask the musicians, please, to come? God, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to individual hearts here this morning. My God, because we are all in great need. And we thank you, O oh God, that you are a merciful God. And that, God, we pray, as Habakkuk prayed, in, in, in fear and in trembling, Lord, God, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. Make your power known, God, in this generation, in our hearts, in our midst, in our lives. In the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.